we're now going to have our Bible reading read before James comes. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, um, if you'd like to turn it to John chapter 13, in just three verses, verses 36 to 38. Again, that's John 13, verses 36 to 38. Don is going to give us our Bible reading, and then James is going to come and speak to us. So let's listen together. This morning's reading is John 13, verse 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Hey everyone, it is good to be gathered together this morning. Now in our study and in our series, The Comfort of Christ, we are in the end of John 13 this morning. And I think what we're going to find this morning meets every single one of us in a profound way. Because this is all about failure. Now, I'd been a pastor, I think, for about two weeks. And so, so at that point, I'm pretty much a self-proclaimed expert on people, right? <laughs> well, maybe not. And I can remember sitting around the dinner table with my wife, Quince. And I said, hey, Quinn, I, I think what we can do with the entire population of humanity is put them into two categories. Uh, one category is for the people who feel inferior. People who feel like they're a failure, they're not matching up to everyone else around them. They feel like they're missing something or they've blown it. And they said the other half of the people, they think they're superior and they think they're killing it at life and they're doing a great job and they're better than everyone else around them. Now, a few weeks after that, we're around the dinner table again. I said to Quince, I'm going to have to revise my statistics. I don't think it's 50-50. I think it's more like 80-20. It seems like the majority of people feel like they've blown it, they're missing something, they're inadequate, they can't match up, they feel like failures. And the 20% feel like they're killing it at life, they're getting everything right, and things are good, and they're better than everyone else. But then a few weeks after that, I said, Quince, I'm going to have to revise my statistics again. I think it's pretty much 100% of people. 100% of people think they've blown it. 100% of people feel like they're not matching up. 100% of people feel like they are failing. And they, they look around the world around them and feel like they're not what they should be. They're not living into everything they thought that they had for themselves. Now, now when, when you deal with yourself and when you deal with people around you, failure is going to come up a lot. So sometimes failure can be, can be public. Sometimes failure can be secret. Sometimes it can just be a constant background humming, a sense of failure. So sometimes it can be something that happened way back in the past. Or maybe it's something that's happening now. It can be a sense of not living up into the dream that you had for yourself. Or maybe not living up to the standards that you set for yourself each day. Failure can involve something financial, but it can also involve something to do with faithfulness. It can be something that was entirely unintentional, or it could have been completely intentional. I think you know what I mean. 
But what we're going to find is that this character, Peter, in, these, in, in, in the end of John 13, meets us in a profound way because he's, he's all about failure here. And that makes sense to us because we are regularly hunted down and haunted by our own moment of failure or sense of failure. Now, now we'll understand how, how, how incredibly disabling failure can be. Failure can make us feel entirely hopeless, can't it? There's no way through this now. I give up. Failure can feel final. Well, how can I ever be used by God now? Who's going to want me now? It can fill us with shame. Well, I bet God holds his nose at my stinky sin right now. He despairs at me as much as I do. Failure can feel paralyzing. Well, what's the point of engaging with others in the world around me? Because I'm going to get found out. And then lastly, failure can make us hide. Oh, if anyone finds out I am in trouble and we end up living with a sense of paranoia wherever we go. You see, see we are haunted. People, humans, are haunted by failure. Now, now in John's gospel, we, we see Peter famously declare his own allegiance to Jesus. But not, not long after that, we see him fail massively, obviously, and famously. There's this agonizing moment where he gets it all wrong. But what we also find in this is that failure isn't final for Peter. There's so much for him on the other side of his failure. And importantly, Peter's experience shows us, I think this, how to journey through failure. How to deal with a moment of failure. How to deal with a sense of failure. Because our failures are far too often the things that paralyze our lives. But this story shows us there is so much more. Now, maybe on the one hand, your life has been marked by failure. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe it was public. Maybe it involved others and there were big consequences. And you've been living with this sense of, I will never get past this. God and the world just despair at me. Well, if that's you, there's massive hope. And maybe on the other hand, you're thinking, well, I, I wouldn't say my life is marked by something as historic as Peter, but like Peter, I've not lived up to the hopes and dreams that I had for myself. I wouldn't say I'm defined by a sharp moment of failure, but I live with a sense of failure. And if there's you, then there's hope for you too. So, so where does Peter's experience in the Gospel of John where does it lead us? What, what does Peter's experience teach us? How does it show us how to deal with failure? Is there any hope? And if there is hope, how do we journey through this failure? Now, what we're going to see here is, is the grand sweep of Peter's experience this morning. So that means our first stop is going to be the end of John 13 in the upper room. We've just had that read to us. And in here, we'll see Peter's problem loudly and clearly. Then what I want to do is move into John 18, and we see Peter's denial and failure. And then right at the end of the gospel in John 21, we see Peter's future begin to unfold as the disciples have a fish breakfast with the risen Jesus. So let's split it up into those three parts, shall we? Let's look at Peter's problem, let's look at Peter's realization, and then let's look at Peter's failure. The problem, the realization, and the future, sorry. Problem, realization, future. So, so let's join Jesus and the disciples in the upper room right here. 
It's the last few hours together before Jesus goes to the cross. And remember, Jesus is preparing them for life without him. That's what's going on right here. So so Jesus has washed their feet. Jesus has given them a new commandment. But now, after that, Peter speaks up. Let's uncover Peter's problem. So number one, Peter's problem. Chapter 13 and verse 36, the first bit reads like this. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now now remember, Jesus has just said to them, love one another as I have loved you. I mean, that's a massive and important matter, isn't it? But Peter just isn't interested in that. It's, it's like the new commandment that Jesus gave, gave fell on deaf ears when it came to Peter. Hold on, G- Jesus, where are you going? That, that love one another business can wait for the moment. But where are you going, Jesus? So Jesus, again, repeats himself. Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterward. Now, Peter seems indignant. He won't accept what Jesus is saying when Jesus says that. Look at verse 37. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. I'll I'll come with you, Jesus. I'll go with you. Nothing's going to stop me. I'll even die for you, Jesus. Wow, these these are brave words from Peter, aren't they? He seems full of self-assurance and confidence, and he doesn't even know what's around the corner. It reminds me of those moments, I'm, I'm sure you've had it, when you, you stand on the edge of a swing pool, and you look up to one of the high diving boards. You ever done that? You, you look up and you think, well, it doesn't seem that high. Maybe the, the medium one. I think I could probably do that. And you begin to walk up the steps towards it, and maybe you stand somewhere near the top, and you suddenly realize what you've let yourself in for. You stood on the side with all of the confidence, looked up, and you didn't have it. I mean, that's, that's the story of my life. When, when I go to Washington State with my wife, and we go to visit her family, they're a family who loves to be near water. So we'll find a river, make sure there's a bridge to jump off, or a lake, and there's a cliff to jump off from, and they love it. And I'll normally stand on the bank with quite a lot of confidence. That doesn't look too high. I think I can do that. Full of confidence. And then I stand on the edge, and my knees are knocking. You see that right here. We have a display of Peter's strong independence and his confidence in his own strength. But what we also see is a distinct lack of self-understanding. Not only does Peter not properly understand Jesus, he doesn't properly understand or know himself. Jesus here questions Peter's commitment. Look at verse 38. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow until you have denied me three times. Jesus is questioning Peter. Will you really do that for me, Peter? Let's let's move forward in the the Peter saga here. And remind ourselves of where these self-assured and supercilious comments take us. Have a look at chapter 18. Because we've moved through the scenes here. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's been betrayed by Judas and he's been taken away. But Peter follows. He's hanging around while Jesus is standing before the accusing authorities. Look look at uh, John 18 verse 15 to 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did the other another disciple. 
Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming his himself. Two more times, move down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, Are you also not of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the the man whose ear Peter had cut off, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again. And at once the cock crowed. Hey, hang on a second. What on earth has just happened? What happened to all of the confident words of commitment to Jesus? We heard it from Peter. Didn't Peter speak with such an assertive manner in the upper room? Peter, what are you playing at? Now, Peter had strutted with all of the arrogance in the upper room of a prize-winning pedigree cockerel, only to find that the shrill crowing of that infamous courtyard cockerel had declared that Peter's confidence had no foundation whatsoever. This was all words from Peter. The betrayal proves that Peter has no idea who he is. The contrast between the upper room self-assurance And the courtyard betrayal show that Peter has little self-awareness of who he really is. Peter's problem, answer, he doesn't know himself. In Luke's gospel, we see that Peter weeps. And we can imagine something of the bitterness of this weeping. Can you just feel his self-assurance come tumbling down like a war-torn city? No one can sink this ship, Jesus. And now he's like a wreck on the seafloor. This is the moment that the veil of his distorted self-perception is lifted. And Peter crumbles into a heap of grief when he sees his sin and failure. You see, his courageous comments to Jesus in the upper room were nothing more than hot air. You know, there really was no valiance. It was all vanity. There really was no courage, but only cowardice. In the very moment where Peter had, hope, had hoped to have a chance to celebrate his own bravery, he's now crying at the fact of his own betrayal and failure. You see this? Peter had aimed for significance. I am going to be somebody. And now he's abruptly eyeball to eyeball with his own frailty and failure. Now this is like looking into a mirror for us. Because Peter is exposing something we all do. We all think we know ourselves really well. And then we're painfully shocked when the sin under the surface is revealed. We shouldn't be shocked, but we are. You see, in Peter, there's this this very human tendency on display. To aim for the significance. Jesus, I'll die for you. To aim for the greatness. But then be absolutely flawed by the reality of our own fragility and failure. I wonder if any of you this week managed to watch that new film on Netflix called The Dig. 
awesome film set in Suffolk. It gives us loads of reasons why we love the county that we get to live in. But, but in this film, it's all about the excavation and, and the discovery of the Sutton Hoo burial. It's a, it's a Saxon burial ground. One of the most significant discoveries in history. Amazing treasures on, on display in the British Museum today. Now, in, the, in this film, there are so many interesting subplots, and I'm going to try and do my best not to give away any spoilers. But in this film, what we find is, is people longing for greatness, aiming to be remembered and to be significant. But all of these people end up coming face to face with their own frailty. There's a tension in this film. See, there's the Sutton Who burial discovery, which seems as a central part to give the message that people can be remembered many centuries after they're gone. And and throughout the film, we, we see the characters asking the same questions of themselves. Will I be remembered? You know, there's the excavator, Basil Brown. He has this desire to be remembered and have his name recognized. And, and there's a moment characters when Peggy and Lomax, they sit around a fireside, and Peggy asks the question, I think, uh, what would be left of us if a thousand years passed in an instant? Now, everyone's aiming for this kind of significance. I mean, that's human. To aim for a such, such a significance, to long to be remembered. I want to be a somebody. I can be a somebody, you know. But then be confronted with our own insignificance and our own frailty. You see, in the film, we see this tension. We have Edith Pretty. She's the landowner. She has failing health. There's the RAF pilot incident. Basil Brown's near-death burial and, then, and constantly everybody through this is, is looking through a telescope, looking at the stars. That crops up a lot. I think that's showing us something, that, that we long for greatness, but we're still so small and we're still so breakable. Isn't that Peter's experience right here? Shooting for significance, but painfully faced with his own frailty and sin. I thought I was going to be a somebody. Jesus, I'm going to die for you. And then he's in the courtyard and he realizes it's not going to happen. He's faced with failure. He didn't even know it was there. Now look at my sin. Look at who I am. Maybe those words sound familiar to us, don't they? I mean, two weeks ago, we were relating with Peter's protests at the foot washing. And now we're pressed to see that Peter's lack of self-awareness is in us too. You can read the rest of the Bible to reinforce that. He strains for significance, but then there's this cold flannel to the face as he wakes up to the truth that I thought I knew myself. Every single one of us knows what that feels like. Some of us this morning, we know a sharp moment of failure well. You just look at Peter's experience with a knowing nod. You know the knot in your stomach. You know the regret. You know the anger at yourself. You know the shame and the guilt. They have been a couple of close companions to you. And then for some of us this morning, maybe it's not one big moment of failure. Maybe it's having many moments of failure, or maybe it's just the sense of failure, but you have become paralyzed by it. Therefore, this shows us that it is vital to know how to respond to that sudden, sharp realization or even the sense of failure. Now, we've got options when it comes to responding. Firstly, when we face our failure, we can make excuses. And we're good at that. Well, well, the reason this happened is because I was tired. Oh, this happened because, you know, work has just been really tough. It's been getting impossible. 
oh, I was struggling with this, and I was struggling with that, and they needed you to be there, but you never were there, and oops, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I don't know where that came from. It wasn't me. Secondly, we can blame others. Now, this is our tendency to think everyone else has the problem. Well, they're the flaky ones. They're the faithless ones. They're the unloving ones. And if they could figure out their problems, then I think the world would be a much better place. Our third option is to repress it. And we can even repress the sense of failure from ourselves. We can spend our lives building things around us, trying to teach ourselves an opposite story of our own failure. We are masters of hiding from our failure through our achievements and through the things we have accumulated. And let's be honest, when we've been raised on Disney's message of the overconfidence in the faithful self, it makes realistic approaches to failure difficult to stomach. No, no, none of those three are going to work, are they? They're not even going to begin to help us to move beyond failure. We need something different. We'll be stuck otherwise. So here's the fourth one, we admit it. Like Peter, we come face to face with our failure. We look at it in the eyes. We own it. And as we do, we can allow the red hot tears of repentance to flow. You see, Peter is forced to see that he doesn't know himself. He has no choice in this moment to admit it. He can't hide from his inner inconsistency. But let's be honest with ourselves. This inner inconsistency lurks in all of us too. He's in the place of of admittance and awareness. He's agonizingly conscious of himself. Do you know that one of the most self-aware things that you can do is the opposite to Peter and say, I don't fully understand what I'm capable of. Or my failure has shown me what really lurks down there in me. Now, I know that sounds upside down, but it's not because it's the first step to dealing properly with failure, and that is facing it, admitting it, owning it. Now, it's one thing to admit failure. It's one thing to stand empty-handed and face it. But if we stop there, we're all stuck, aren't we? But the good thing is we don't have to because that's not where Peter's story stops. His failure isn't final. Part two, the realization. You see, in Peter's story here, we we do find out who he really is, but the story also contains a realization, and it's a crucial, crucial realization. We'll jump back to John 13, and at the end of the chapter, the last two verses, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will, look at the irony here, I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. You catch the irony. Being the readers of John's gospel here, we know the whole story and we're invited to see what happens in Peter's experience. Peter thinks he's the only one who can save Jesus. And Jesus not only brings that into question, but he tells him that endeavor is going to go badly. There's a sense within Peter that he doesn't see a need for a savior. We see this throughout Peter's experience. I mean, think, remember back to the foot washing. Jesus comes to wash his feet and, and Peter says, no, 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 I'm going to wash your feet. Or what about in Mark's gospel? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter is warned about temptation. Don't go to sleep. Don't fall for this. But then he goes to sleep. It's almost like it's not relevant to him. He doesn't care. He's got it in his own hands. And then in John 18, when Peter cuts the ear off, 
Remember, he's taken this all into his own hands. I am the one who's going to save this situation. So Peter thinks he doesn't need a savior until he fails Jesus. I mean, John doesn't take us through Peter's emotions of that betrayal, like the other gospel writers do. But what we do know, what we do know is that a realization takes place. And it's when Peter sees the risen Jesus. Fast forward into John chapter 21. It's following the resurrection, and Jesus stands on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You caught any fish out there? No. Try the other side. And then the nets are full. Boom. Realization. We know who that is. And in John 21, Peter is the first to speak. And he says these beautiful words. It is the Lord. Now, Peter in this moment is so desperate to get to Jesus that he frantically throws himself into the sea and begins to swim ashore when the others come in by boat. Now, Peter's enthusiastic response only makes sense if he has realized something. He does the resurrection logic in a moment. You see, in the upper room, Jesus had said, hang on a second, Peter's thinking. In the upper room... Jesus said he would wash. Jesus said I would betray him. Jesus said he would die on the cross. And Jesus is now alive. Do you see Peter doing the logic in the boat as he swims? Jesus has washed me then. He has forgiven me. Failure, it is not the final word. And it is not the defining word over my life. Jesus is risen, therefore my failure is not final. That's the realization. You see this reversal in his experience? He's not the one who dies for Jesus, but Jesus is the one who dies for him. Number two, that's Peter's realization. Peter doesn't die for Jesus, but Jesus dies for Peter. See, Peter's realization is all about who the Savior is. Who's the Savior, Peter? You or Jesus? He finds out it's Jesus. This is true of us, right? We don't and we can't set ourselves free from failure. Only Jesus can do that. We cannot be freed from the ultimate burden of our failure until we recognize that the path to our freedom from failure goes right to and goes right through Jesus. You see, if we don't go to Jesus with our failure, if we don't go to him, we are left with two miserable extremes. Exhaustion or hopelessness. Exhaustion. This is when we come face to face with our sense of failure, but we double down on trying to make it right ourselves. I will deal with the shame and guilt that I feel, and I'm going to do it by working harder. I can be better. Uh, This might do you well for an hour or two, maybe even a day. But what happens when you fail again? You'll have to conclude that you didn't work hard enough. So try harder. And then you fail again. And then you'll not live up to your own standards again. Your poor discipline and lack of courage. So you'll try harder. Oh, I'll have another crack at it. And then you're stuck in this never-ending, exhausting, repetitive cycle. That's when we don't take our failure to Jesus. The second thing we can do is we descend into hopelessness. This is when we give up. It's when we're faced with our own failure and we become so dejected that we say there is no point even carrying on anymore because I can't get this right. Well, this is it. This is my life. There is no hope for me now, right? The consequences are too great for me to deal with and to face. 
You see, the hopelessness is when we come to the end of ourselves and we have refused to look up and see there is a different story. Exhaustion and hopelessness in the face of failure is what people without Jesus will experience now and on into eternity. But there has to be a third way. And let me invite every single one of you into that this morning. It's Peter's realization. The only path to real and lasting freedom from the echoes and the condemnation of our failures is through Jesus. Because at the cross, we have a loud message. We all fail. We can't get it right. We all need forgiveness. But there is one who hasn't failed. There is one who does indeed forgive. And there is one who can give us the lasting freedom and the peace that we need. You see, the root of exhaustion says, I can. Hopelessness says, I can't. But the cross says, Jesus has. You see, it's the cross that we are confronted with our shortcomings. But at the cross, we are not thrown into exhaustion and hopelessness. Why? Because the cross gives us a new way, a humble way. A way not to lean in on our failing selves over and over again, but a way to be engulfed by God's grace. Peter shows us that our self-reliance is a myth and we are empty-handed until we are given grace in Jesus. You see, the song of the Christian life is a song of Peter's realization. Through the cross, we have the peace and the forgiveness that we long for. Peace with ourselves and, and to begin to work towards peace Peace and healing with others. Now let's be real for a second. The cross doesn't magic away the consequences of our failures. But it does say that we are not defined by our failures but by Jesus. That's where the ultimate freedom is. And it's not until we come to the end of ourselves will we ever see how much Jesus matters. You want to deal with failure? Me too. So we do the same thing. We own it. We face it. We be real about it because it shows us who we really are. And when we come to the end of ourselves, we run headlong into the grace of Jesus. Now, can you see, saints, can you see this? How the cross transforms the soundtrack of our lives. It takes us from the obsession with self and our failures to obsession with Jesus. You see this? Oh, I wish I wasn't such an idiot to, I'm a child of God and of his promise. I'm such a failure as a parent. I can't do this. By God's grace, I am being changed day by day. I am such a rubbish spouse. Well, his grace is growing me into the image of Jesus more and more. That was a very dark moment in my past. How will I ever get past it? In Jesus, there is hope. And without him, there is none. Oh, I'll never find healing from that. With Jesus, nothing is impossible. This reconciliation will never happen. Well, in Jesus, we can work towards that. I I could never bring this out into the open to come hear the story about God's grace in my life. I'll never forgive myself. In Christ, I am washed as white as snow on the fields around my house today. I can't get anything right to Jesus is my perfect substitute. Do you see how it changes everything? But there's one more thing I want us to see, and very briefly, the third thing, Peter's future. 
Now, we might be inclined to say at this point that because of the infamy of Peter's betrayal and his failure, that he, he does have forgiveness, but we can't trust Peter with anything else. I mean, I mean Peter, you, come on, you, you can come to church, but we better make sure we keep an eye on you because we know what you're like. But that's not what happens here, is it? I mean, the opposite happens. Maybe that's telling for us. Let me take you to a couple of places. End of John 13 again. What does Jesus say in verse 36? Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. You see that? Follow afterward. And Peter does follow in Jesus' footsteps. Church history shows us that, that Peter was indeed crucified just like Jesus. There's a second place I want to take you, right to the end of the gospel, verse, uh, chapter 21 and verse 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, why do you keep asking, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You notice that Jesus asked the question three times. How many times had Peter betrayed him? What was that telling us? It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, you are now ready to shepherd the sheep. Wow. So we see Peter's self-confidence has been dismantled. And now he's ready to be used for something huge. So Peter's future. Peter is ready for service. So so Peter's failure and the experience of grace qualifies him not only to serve, but to lead. I dare say he's probably haunted by his failure and betrayal. Maybe times where Peter felt embarrassed by what happened. Perhaps. But we know that failures have consequences. We understand that. And we can spend decades working through those sometimes. We spend a long time working through the pains and reconciliation. But what we know is that God sets us free from the eternal consequences of sin and failure. And God gives us a new and secure identity. This doesn't mean we get to sweep everything under the carpet. We know that. But what's key here is that Peter is not defined by his failure. Peter is now defined by God's grace in Jesus. Peter's darkest moment is not his only moment. And that's true of you and I who go to Jesus today. Your darkest moment is not your only moment. You are defined by Jesus, not your failure. The children of grace have have not been disqualified for use, but become humble enough to be used mightily by God. Can you see why it doesn't make sense for a Christian to be surprised when someone else gets it wrong? Can you see why it makes sense for Christians to be real about our own failures and to be real about the world's failures but never without the message of grace? Can you see why it doesn't make sense for us to hide from failure and pretend nothing has happened? Grace shows us that it doesn't make sense to avoid repentance, to avoid reconciliation and to avoid restoration. You see, grace turns us into open books, trophies of his kindness We don't push failure under the carpet. We're real. We talk. We turn to Jesus and encourage others to do the same. I know not of a more liberating way to deal with failure 
than right through Jesus. I know not of a better way to be transformed from the inside out than to walk on the path that Peter walks. You see, Peter, he proclaims his courage in the upper room. Then he's confronted with failure. He sees who he really is. And then we see him swim frantically to Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're like me and the rest of us who got it so wrong. Failed miserably. Maybe it's a sense. Maybe it's a moment. But could we just remind ourselves this morning of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? May we be a people who when we are confronted with our failure, may we run straight into the outrageous grace of God and into the arms of Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Peter's experience. We relate to it more than we realize, more than we like to admit. Father, we pray you would help us to walk that same path, to face it, to have that realization, and to know that the future for us is not cut off. As we face it, we turn from it. In our realization, we see that we don't die for Jesus, but Jesus dies for us. And because of that, you still have more for us. So for any of us this morning that have been haunted by our failures, hunted down, maybe the enemy has leveraged them to paralyze our service of you. Father, would you help us to see the truth of the gospel, to see who Jesus really is. And this morning, may every single one of us leap out of the boat and frantically swim so that we can sit down to eat and commune with Jesus. Father, we know we're liberated in this moment when we know this truth. Help us to see it. Help us to be free. Not into the exhaustion of the hopelessness, but to be children of grace. We know that changes everything. Heavenly Father, we need you. Would you show us how much we need you? And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.